Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and uh, today actually it was it's been a weird 24 hours. So the first the um the the first part of this podcast was going to be almost like a sob story because over the last 24 hours it's been a very up and down uh, day for me as we woke up Monday morning to our YouTube channel being completely gone. And it it really uh, sucked because the night before, I had actually been streaming the new Shadow of War game. I got it for free, or excuse me, not for free. I got it early from Best Buy and a shipping error. So I decided to just stream it a little bit and see if I could maybe get a few views, get a few hits. I knew what I was doing was probably against the rules, but I thought maybe I could slide in and nobody would notice, you know, get a couple people to watch. I don't know, you know, something like that. Um, well, instantly we got a copyright strike for that. So Warner Brothers must have been looking out for any streams that had to do with Shadow of War, and they killed it right away and gave us not just a not to take down, but like they straight up gave us a copyright strike, which is on our record for 90 days. And if you get three of those in a 90 day period, you lose your whole channel, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so that happened, you know, late that night, and I was I was kind of upset about it because I, I was the first one to have any sort of strike against us on our channel. It's me and a few other guys do it, and. Then I woke up to a string of messages from one of our guys who was up earlier in the morning, like around three or four, and he was basically stating that the whole channel's gone, that we're banned and we're and it's gone. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. And I was, you know, then all these things start running through your head, like, well, what did I do? You know, did that did did Warner Brothers go after any other videos we had? Like, did they just strike us out and then kill our channel while we were sleeping, so we had no idea what to do? And so this video is part me telling my story, but also, you know, I'm gonna help people who have also had the same problem. And, uh, you know, kind of explain everything that happened so you can understand how the process works and and, and hopefully uh, have as good of news as we do, which is that our channel just got reinstated back this morning. So it was a very scary 24 hours. And, and it, it's not like we have a ton of subscribers. You know, we're almost at 300, but we've we've received that uh, in over 100,000 views. We've gotten that in in just you know, six months. I mean, I feel I'm really proud of that. And I feel like we're really making some headway and we're really moving forward and we're doing really well. And to lose that, I mean, something I, I do work very hard at, to lose that would be very disappointing. And again, not like we're some, you know, making a million dollars a month. We haven't made any money yet on YouTube, but it's not about that for us. But, you know, we haven't made any money. So anyway, um, everything, uh, what, what what basically happened to us was it had nothing to do with the Shadow War video, actually, which kind of made me happy at first, but still disappointed. But basically, one of our members, Jordan, he does a lot of like quick play videos and he does he does a lot of content and so he had an idea for a new series called would you pay a dollar for this game and uh, he did a couple of them and he uploaded them basically all at the same time uh, just to see what was going on and you know we still don't know exactly what happened but basically all three videos got uploaded and within 20 minutes all three videos got community strikes and then after the third strike, we got kicked off of YouTube. It was like instant. It was 20 minutes and, and our whole channel and everything we've been working for for six months was gone. And now that was different from the copyright strike that I received on Shadow of War, which we still actually have. And we have to wait out the 90 days for that to go away. But the um, the community strikes are typically given to videos that are reported by users. And they'll be reported for multiple reasons. But they're hateful you know, they have bad content, they're dangerous, you know, they're illegal, things like that. That's what you do to break community guidelines. So there's a difference between community strikes and copyright strikes. And so we had broken three community strikes, got struck out, and we were off of YouTube just like that, you know, and it was insane to me that that was how quick you could do. And you, you start to feel almost like a criminal. And you feel a little bit like, 
like you did something wrong or you feel wrongly accused and you feel like, no, you can't do anything about it. And there is an appeals process where you can write like one line of text and then hope that someone reads it and that you explained it well enough and that they'll give you a chance. And so most of Monday, we, we were kind of, uh, quite honestly, it was, it was, I was really beat down emotionally and I, it made me want to reconsider even doing any of this anymore. Um, because, you know, you work so hard for something and just have it taken away. It's, it's very difficult thing to deal with. And so, uh, but Jordan, uh, you know, thankfully he is very, um, strong headed about stuff like this. And he went, uh, right to you. He went right to Reddit and went to the YouTube subreddit and said, Hey, here's my story, which scarily enough, if you look at that subreddit, it feels like every other post is a, I got banned. My video got removed. Something happened. Please help me sort of a post. Uh, but Jordan made one and a very, um, a very helpful couple of people were there. So I want to bring up their info here just so that I can, and I'll put it in the description too, so that you can contact these people if you would ever need to. Um, but let's take a look here. So, um, okay. So first of all, uh, we posted in the r slash YouTube subreddit and, the first person that commented was named Hub Community Channels. That's his Reddit username. And he said, did you have anything wrong with your video descriptions? This sounds like it could be done by reviewers, not bots, but they can make mistakes. And then he tagged someone, a user named Trusted Flagger. And he said, can you look into this? And then Trusted Flagger showed up and said, hey, uh, OP, can you DM me uh, on Twitter at this and appeal in the meantime? So this guy showed up, this um, this trusted flagger guy, who ended up being our savior, because I don't know what he, I, I don't understand his role a lot, like I don't know if he's actually a part of YouTube, or if he's a part of a community that's given certain rights to help with these things, so that Google can have more people reviewing these things, I'm not quite sure what his position is, but he basically expedited this whole thing, it can sometimes take up to four days, um, it can sometimes take up to four days, to get a reply and our channel was completely reinstated just a day later. And he, he was able to look at the video with the links we provided, even though our channel was gone. So he has some sort of back end or some way to watch that. He, he looked at him and said, wow, I can't, uh, I, this definitely looks like a mistake. I don't think they should have been removed. And so that gave us hope yesterday. And as we finished with the whole debacle, you know, we went to, we, we did our podcast last night. We did uh, the have at you podcast last night. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it then, but even then it was still up in the air. We really didn't know. And then we woke up this morning just to some excellent news, which was that our channel has been reinstated fully. I think it was around four or five in the morning. We did get a nice email um, from from YouTube uh, admitting all guilt and saying sorry and talking about how great it was to have us back. No, I'm just kidding. Here's literally what they said. After a review of your account, we have confirmed that your YouTube account is not in violation. As such, we have unsuspended your account. This means your account is once again active. That's it. <laughs> so, you know, no, no, hey, sorry. Hey, we made a mistake. Just straight up like, well, you're back. Here you go. Here's the keys back to the car, you know. So, again, not like I'm looking for any help from them or any nice things said back to me from them. It's just one of those things that's just funny to me that they're so, you know, how they do things. They're so walled off and, and not willing to admit when they make a mistake, which who knows that probably opens you up to lawsuits and you're probably not supposed to do stuff like that. So obviously that makes sense, but it, it is one of those things that 
is frustrating, but it worked out in our favor. So I like really don't care at this point. I just am glad that it's back because it did. It killed a lot of my motivation to do this. So uh, on the back end of that, what I wanted to say then was I wanted to tell everybody who maybe has a similar issue to this to go on to Reddit, check that subreddit, of course, um, subscribe to it, message those people uh, that I tagged um, uh, that I'll put in the description. So message them. Obviously, you do an appeal. Um, try to be professional. Obviously, when you do the appeal, most likely emotions will take over and you're very upset. Just be calm, rational, talk to them, but also be honest with yourself and be honest about if your content was taken down for a reason, because there are legitimate reasons that these things will be taken out. And sometimes, you know, you may disagree with why it was taken down, but that doesn't mean that wasn't in violation. And so be honest with yourself. If you really feel like it was done by mistake, then I think you have every right to obviously uh, get your channel back. And this was such an extreme case because if Jordan had uploaded one of those videos and it got us a community strike, we'd have been like, whoa, 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 we can appeal the strike, but at least the channel's still up. We'll be careful. But because he uploaded three videos simultaneously, they gave us three strikes and we were out before we could even blink. And so it was a really weird situation. Now, unfortunately, also very few details also come with being reinstated. So for instance, we don't know if it was a malicious attack on our channel by somebody who doesn't like us, it's certainly possible that somebody went into those three videos and reported all three of them as spam. Maybe somebody saw it and was like, oh my God, this is so annoying. I don't want to see content like this on YouTube. I'm going to clean up YouTube and get these guys off here, which would be wrong for them to do. But, you know, I could see that happening because we get a lot of hate on some of our videos. I know my, my Commodore video, my Atari video have gotten some, some fans of those products to be upset at me for making the video. And some even accused me of fear mongering. He called it scaremongering, but fear mongering because he felt like I was, you know, just trying to drum up people's fears. When, if you listen to my videos, I don't do that. And I, I'm quite adamant to not do that. Um, I will happily say things like buyer beware and put a big red stamp on my videos that say beware because I think people should beware, but I'm certainly not trying to scare people. Uh, in fact, I, I, I would argue that I hate that about modern, um, political radio and news shows is that they're too busy trying to make us angry and upset. You know, I'm not looking for, uh, people to do that to me and I don't want to do that to other people, but moving on, we don't know if that happened where someone came after us maliciously, or if it was just a bot that somehow was going through the descriptions, saw something like a dollar symbol, maybe heard something because there was a robotic voice in the original cut of the video. Maybe I think that maybe a combination of things led it, led the algorithm that YouTube uses to find these spam and channels. And it, it weeded them out because of that. And so again, though, I don't understand why sometimes videos can't be taken down. And then they say, Hey, this video was taken down because we thought it was spam. You know, it just instantly, it's a strike. And then since we did three, it was strike, 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 you're out. And it's like, wow, I mean, like before you can do anything, you're you're gone. And obviously in the case of spammers who actually are scamming and spamming people, I'm very glad that they have that algorithm in place because I don't want to see videos like that pop up all over YouTube. It just stinks when someone who's innocent gets caught in the net, you know, and I think that's what happened to us. I do believe it was bots. I think the timing being so obscure and so early in the morning it just doesn't really make sense that someone was hunting us down. I mean, I even went as far as to think maybe someone from Warner Brothers who shut my other video down was maybe they were trying to get our whole channel down, so they just reported us. That's silly. That's like tinfoil conspiracy hat uh, sort of stuff. So I don't believe that now, but at the time, you start to rationalize those things. So uh, anyway, those are my tips, though, that I would give to people. If you have something similar like this happen, go online, look for, you know, look for, 
the the subreddit with YouTube, talk to people, you know, get get things taken care of, but be honest with yourself. And if and if you did do these violations and you are in the wrong, you have to accept responsibility for that. That's something that, you know, I talk about ad nauseum on this podcast is that we have to take personal responsibility for everything. Um, and that's just how, you know, that, that, that's, you have to be honest with yourself before you can start getting upset at other people for taking you down. Um, but beyond that, so now moving on to some actual gaming stories, uh, I want to talk about this one, which is pretty big, really only have one big story today. Uh, it, a lot of pieces tie into it though. So we'll talk a little bit about a few things. And then I want to talk about, uh, I went and saw Blade Runner. So I'm going to talk about that. And then uh, I'm going to talk about the Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce fiasco that happened over the weekend as well, uh, and my experience with it. <laughs> um, so anyway, but the story I want to talk about here is uh, the actual article that I read that I found interesting was the website Open Critic is going to take a stand against loot boxes. So Open Critic is a rating website similar to a metacritic but it's just for video games and they have you know like they take the compilation of a lot of people's reviews user reviews um magazine reviews they take all this stuff and then they make you know they give you like it's like a meta review of all the data uh why they call it metacritic you know obviously that was taken so they went with open critic um but this was interesting so they're they're taking a stand against loot boxes this was just a destructoid article so here i, I just want to read this to you and then kind of go down the rabbit hole with you um, okay, so what kind of sparked it was users on NeoGAF had been talking about the new Shadow of War game that just came out today, and for for everyone else, I, mean, I got mine Saturday, <laughs> resulting in a copyright strike, but for normal, everyday people, they got it today, and users on NeoGAF and other gaming outlets had found the final act of the game becomes a massive grind fest unless you actually pay money to get the true ending. So you have to, if you don't pay money for like the best crates and items, you have to really grind and grind and grind to be able to get to this final chapter, quote unquote, true ending. Um, so open critic, one of the largest game review aggregate websites has decided to take a stand against this by updating its display filters to warn and inform potential customers of games, utilizing these types of transactions and paid content. So here was the, uh, um, so what they're saying is they want to add, such such things such categories as part of the review as saying this game has microtransactions this game has loot boxes um we're going to take a stand against loot boxes we're looking into ways to add business model information to open critic so they want to somehow be able to inform people even more by saying this game uses loot boxes game uses you know this game uses pay to win this game uses uh cosmetic loot boxes like rocket league stuff like that and so i read that and i was like oh that's kind of cool you know it'd be nice to to not have, you know, to be able to know, because a lot of times like a game like Shadow of War is really fun. So where, where do you draw the line for review on that, right? So where do you say, this game is really, really good, but I don't like the microtransactions, so the game would have been a 10, but microtransactions dropped it down to an 8. I mean, is that really fair? Because the game itself is still a 10, you know? I mean, it's nice to know that someone's trying to figure out how to throw in these policies into a review and make it make more sense. So, but the reason I found it interesting was because we haven't really talked about loot boxes. Um, I, I talk about my disgust for them quite often. But one thing I noticed in this, as this conversation came up, I found quite a few people, actually, some people that I actually follow on Twitter and I, I respect their game knowledge on. People like um, Wombat from Cheap Ass Gamer. 
And he was actually arguing that the only reason we have $60 games still is because of practices like this. Otherwise, games would be $70 or $80 based on inflation and rising cost of game development. And so my brain was stopped for a second. I thought, oh, okay, hold on. Let, let's actually think about this. So what he's saying is games last generation a lot of people remember when the ps3 and 360 came out new games became 59.99 when the norm on ps2 and regular xbox and gamecube was 49.99 so there was a paradigm shift at that point where the standard msrp of what we'd call a triple a game went from 50 dollars to 60 dollars okay uh very uh very very reasonable i suppose you know we all understood that game prices are increasing we got new technology we've got better systems so we want better graphics the jump from ps2 to ps3 or xbox to xbox 360 was a pretty big jump uh, i could argue that the jump from ps3 to ps4 isn't as big of a jump and we're getting to the life where a jump from ps4 to ps5 is not going to be probably a very big jump either we're starting to hit that that maximum we can get to uh, you know with graphical power but I, I heard these people arguing that point, and I thought, I don't necessarily believe in that. And so as I, and, and, and I kid you not, so then yesterday, and because I was doing all this a couple days ago, I was reading about these, and yesterday, Jim Sterling just kills it. And so I have to give a lot of credit to him, because he he made every single point that I would have made, but he made it better and more flashy and more funny, probably. So I, I highly recommend Jim's video on it, the Jimquisition on the $60 game myth. Um, so I'll hit kind of some of his points, which were really also my points, but I'll, I'll kind of go down his points and my points so you can get kind of a, an understanding of how that $60 game is kind of bullcrap at this point. So really the argument that he makes is that for a very long time, even starting with the PS3 era, we were getting downloadable content and games were no longer $60. So if you wanted to play everything that a game had to offer, we weren't paying $60. On the PS2, if you wanted to play everything that game had to offer, you were paying $50 for it and you got everything that game had to offer. Uh, early on the PS3, it was the same way, but as they started really getting into the digital distribution of expansion packs and paying extra money for more content later, then we started running into DLC. So then you had, oh, you know, this game came out, like Dead Space three came out they add an extra mission at the end you can pay there's a season pass season passes are obviously still huge but there was like a season pass to download all the dlc um it was mostly like when you really think about it it really jumps out as call of duty so call of duty had map packs so you'd pay extra money for extra maps on call of duty so a game was no longer 60 dollars. the game was 60 and all the map packs let's be honest i think they came to maybe 20 bucks extra so you're looking at 80 dollars now for a full retail price game so we haven't been paying $60 for quote-unquote complete games for a very long time. We've been paying $60 for the base game and then a la carte adding whatever extra content we'd want. And even, even companies I really respect like FromSoft, they unfortunately with Demon Souls, they didn't do any DLC. They just made the game and they had a whole bunch of extra downloadable stuff. Like, Well, not extra downloadable stuff, but they patched in things. They had event weekends, things like that. All things that keep you playing a great game. They didn't sell you anything extra. Then when Dark Souls 1 came out, they really didn't have any DLC either. But later, as the game became... Because it became so popular, there was one part of the game that they had to leave out. And it was the... Because they said they didn't have enough time to finish it. And that was the Artorias, the Abyss Walker DLC. Um, well, we know it as DLC, but it was the Artorias, the Abyss Walker area of the game. So later, 
they finished that part of the game and they ended up selling it. So again, that was, I believe, $15. So you weren't paying $60 for Dark Souls. You had to pay $75 to experience the entirety of Dark Souls. Dark Souls 2 then was worse. That actually had multiple expansions. Dark Souls 3 had multiple expansions. And then eventually they sell us a Game of the Year edition of the game so that we can have all the downloadable content on the disc if you're lucky. If it's Fallout 4, you're not lucky, and they don't put it on the disc. But anyway, so we've been doing season passes and DLC for a while, so these games haven't been like that. Now, however, we have games like Forza, Shadow of War, and others that are full $60 retail base games. They're offering downloadable content extra, and they're adding something that has really become the bane of my existence lately, loot boxes. Now, loot boxes are something that I'm surprised didn't pick up here earlier in our in our lives because they're huge in Japan. The idea of a random box and wanting to open and see what you get is, an, is as old of a gambling trick as anything is. It's something that they've used in... I mean, it's something that you use in, in gambling and in entertainment forever. People like the idea of discovery. People love Diablo 2 because every time you killed a boss, you wanted to see what loot he would drop. And it was always random. So you were like, oh, God, what's, what's he going to drop next? What's he going to drop next? But that all now has been, you know, kind of twisted into this idea that for game companies to make money, they have to charge $60 for a game, $20 for DLC, and then have random loot crates that you buy with real money. Now, Rocket League, to be fair, puts all of their DLC behind their crates. So I also don't like crates in Rocket League. I've said that before. But the crates in Rocket League include all of the new stuff that they add. So yes, I have to, instead of buying a DLC, well, I should say with the exception of certain themed cars like the Batmobile, the DeLorean, and like the Fast and the Furious cars. But everything they add to the game normally, besides the licensed properties like that, everything they add is in those loot crates. So you buy $20 in keys and you should hopefully get a couple of cars and some of the other stuff that you would have gotten in the DLC. Me personally, I would rather just pay an extra $10 for all of this stuff to be unlocked. Uh, because I think the idea of randomly getting crates and then buying keys to randomly open the crates to open random crates to hopefully get something you want is, eh, you know, like you don't get to pick what you want. I just want it all. I don't. I don't want to randomly have to get it. And what's really worse is those games, including Player Unknown Battleground, which also added uh, crates to their, you know, all they have is looks, but they added crates to those. You get multiples of the same item. So I understand if it wants to be random, but can't you at least not randomize me the same item I already got? I mean, it just feels really crappy, you know. And so that's kind of what these games have evolved to and again rocket league though that's okay because that's that's their extra string of money they're not doing dlc packs they're not trying to make a rocket league sequel they're a very successful game and they're just keeping it fresh they're updating seasons you know a game like world of warcraft they do so many free content updates but when they release a new expansion like legion yeah it was 40 dollars, but that was a almost an entire game built into that worth of work and so i i, I certain companies aren't abusing the power some very much so are and shadow war is probably the most egregious one but even forza 7 now added crates uh shadow war had crates destiny 2 has random crates and then you've got these indie games the smaller ones like rocket league PUBG, Fortnite. you know does it you can buy actually it's just so much like it's it's a gambling it's a gambling scheme to get us to spend more money because we're buying things and we randomly we don't get what we want so we buy them again like at my store uh we carry 
some Zelda merch, which I don't know if we're going to carry this again, but it's it's blind boxes. And I feel incredibly guilty about that because people will buy one hoping to get a Zelda keychain and they don't get it. So they buy another one and they buy four or five until they get the character they want. And now I guess that looks good for me and my bottom line. Although to be honest, I don't make very much money on these things. It's more of just something that people have asked me to carry. So I carry them. But people buy a ton of these. They don't get what they want or they could have just bought one figure that they really wanted. You know, but it's 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 a it's a scheme to get people to buy more. I'm not saying it's a scam because you're buying something, you're getting it. People have free will to make this decision on their own. But it's very, I don't know, it's very interesting to me how we've decided to put up with it. And I almost feel like they're tricking us. And it's just, I, I you know, what do I always say? We, we got to be better than that. We have to be smarter than that. And I feel like this is pretty egregious. And so... I'm going to say something here that as a video game store owner and an avid player of said video games might be quite controversial, but this goes back to the idea that for years, um, the industry experts were anticipating there to be a video game crash where the cost, the rising cost of making games was not going to be able to sustain it. People wouldn't be able to afford buying them and there would be a triple a crash. Now I feel like we essentially, averted that crash by the rise of the indie games so indie games brought to life a bunch of companies could make smaller cheaper games not look like they're bad games just because they're cheaper you know there's there's a sense where a 15 or 20 dollar game now is a fine price to pay for a game that's not considered triple a as to where in the past if it was considered a budget title like if a, every game was 50 dollars on ps2 and then a game came out at 30 dollars, you were always very hesitant about it because you felt like well why is it cheaper what's wrong with it was always like your mindset that's kind of disappeared now with the with the uh, forefront of the indie game revolution. So we have that, that I believe staved off the AAA crash because you had these, these companies could make money other ways um, by releasing smaller games or releasing smaller digital titles, things like that. Also not to mention that digital distribution is not as costly as physical manufacturing. So as more digital copies get sold, that's less of a burden cost-wise than it is to physically print and stock inventory and ship games um, i'm not saying there's no cost involved with digital gaming there absolutely is but it's not as much as the uh as the physical side is it's just not it's just not so the controversial statement that i'm going to make is i think we should let triple a games crash i think we should let the market on triple a games crash and i say this as somebody who loves games i play games i play triple a games but I can tell you right now, some of the best games I've played this year have been $20 games or $10 games. And I'm okay with games like Call of Duty not being around. I'm okay with games like Shadow of War as much as I enjoy this game. If I didn't get to play this, so be it. Because where, where we're going and what we're paying for these games isn't sustainable. You know, like they put all this effort into these amazing animations and amazing graphics. And I never, you know, Jim makes a good point too. Jim at the Jimquisition, Jim Sterling, when he says, I didn't ask for any of this stuff. I feel completely the same. I don't need everyone's hair to be perfectly modeled and each individual strand of hair can be wavy and move. I don't need, you know, I was just as happy back in the day on the PS2. I was just as happy on PS1. And I do like good graphics, I like games that are good to look at, but not at the cost of rising uh, game prices and so as controversial as that might sound i'm actually totally okay with a triple a game crash where companies like activision ea and 2k like these companies have to hit the reset button on their finances capcom square all that stuff hit the hit the 
hit the reset button and appropriately fund games. Like when you look at how much a game like Resident Evil 7 cost compared to how much a game like Call of Duty costs, the, the, the numbers are ridiculous. So why is it that certain games like Resident Evil 7 is just as fun and just as good of a game as any Call of Duty would be? So why is that game so much cheaper to make and market than a AAA game is? Just something to think about. And, you know, it, it one other story I kind of wanted to rock into this was that uh, GameStop recently, because, you know, I can't stop talking about them. But, like, yes, I think it was yesterday I started seeing these pop up. But I saw an ad pop up that it showed the new Assassin's Creed Origins game, which looks fun. But they had an ad that brought up, like, a banner, almost like those, if you have an ad blocker just uh, on your browser and you try to go to a site that doesn't allow you to go any further just brings up like a splash window and you can't like click around it you can't go past it you literally have to leave the site or deactivate the ads and it just pops up and says sorry the bonus mission is blocked unless you pre-order assassin's creed origins and it's got the gamestop logo and everything and i'm just like well first of all this is just a terrible pr move because (laughs) like you already have a bunch of people that that dislike you and they think that DLC is scummy practices and they are bucking against the pre-order trend. And then you basically take all those things and you just mash into one ad, almost poking fun at the idea that, that you have to reserve that game or you don't get it. I mean, how, how, how crappy of you is that? Like, why, why does someone at the marketing department not understand that who makes this video? Like, do they not know how annoying it is when you go to a website and you get like, and they say like, if you don't, if you don't whitelist us, you can't go on. Like, like it's New York times or somebody always does that. And every time I go there to read an article on something and it does that, I just go, okay, uh, I'm not coming back here. And I never go to that site and I never will, uh, because they're trying to force themselves and their ads on us. And again, not trying to say that they need to do all this stuff for free. I understand they do make money, but like something like that is so abrasive. And so when I saw this, I just like shook my head and I'm like, come on game. So how do you not know any better than this? Right. But again, it wasn't enough, but that wasn't big enough to talk about as its own story, but it was kind of tied to this, like the DLC and how we're basically being groomed. And this all ties into everything. This ties into the, the shadow of war rant video I did about the Fort hog DLC, because it ties into the fact that Warner brothers is so you know, ridiculous about DLC that they decided to turn a character to raise money for someone into DLC instead of just putting him in the game, just put him in the game, you know? And then if you wanted to, you could, you could do a huge press push and you could say everything like you could do a huge press push, say everything like we're going to donate this much money for every copy of the game sold. We're going to give 50 cents to the family. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We could do anything, but no, you had to sell DLC. Why did you have to sell DLC? Now, they've since gone back on that, and they're giving the DLC away for free, and then they're just going to give an undisclosed amount of money to the family. But why Why are you? Why did it have to be that way? Like, who's not thinking about this? And it's, it's this whole idea that they're pushing us towards DLC, and they're pushing us on the idea that every game has extra stuff. And if you look at every listing, Jim Sterling said the same thing, look at every listing on the PlayStation Store or Xbox Live, you've got two to three versions of every game. There's a regular version for 60, a digital collector's edition for 80, and sometimes a game with a season pass gold edition for 100. And and so, okay, I just want to play the game. Can I just play the game without having to have all the extras? Oh, the extras are actually part of the story and all that sort of stuff? I, I don't want that. I don't want any of that. And, and, and unfortunately, I have to. And, and th- this trend we're going through, this is the trend I want to die. So if this trend doesn't go away, then I want AAA games 
themselves to go away. And I'll be the first to say it. So then, um, anyway, that was really the only news story I want to talk about today. Uh, unfortunately, the other two, so if these other two are kind of more pop culture or uh, obviously movie-related, Rick and Morty TV show-related. Um, but I do want to talk about them a little bit. Um, in the sense that... Sorry, my cat keeps jumping up on the desk and I'm trying to record my podcast. Um, so... Uh, I want to talk about the Rick and Morty fiasco a little bit because that one, this is an interesting one because, uh, well, first of all, if you haven't seen the cartoon, it's a very good cartoon. I like it quite a bit. I actually only really discovered it. My brother showed it to me uh, maybe a month or so ago. I've only seen the first two seasons, so I haven't even seen the episode that references the Szechuan sauce. Apparently, it's the uh, intro to season three. It's the episode one of season three. And... But I really enjoy the show. It's really funny. It's it's intelligent in a lot of its like things that you like, like it's really well written and the characters are really interesting. It has a great mix of hilarious stupidity and like intelligent design and then it also wraps around to some really touching moments and some sort of like, well, what is it, you know, like some some philosophical like who am I sort of stuff. Sounds really heavy. It's not really. It's a really great funny show. And so I really enjoy it, and I suggest everyone to go and watch it. I think it's really good. The first two seasons are on Hulu, and uh, season three, I don't know how I'm going to watch it, but I need to find a way to watch it because I don't want anything spoiled for me. But what so what happened over the weekend was, they I don't know when they announced it. It was maybe a couple weeks ago. They announced that they were going to do a special edition Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce. So if you don't know, Szechuan sauce was a special promotional like Asian Zing sauce that they that they made for the Mulan movie when it came out. And it was a special promotional thing only at McDonald's. It was a very limited run, came out for a little while to promote the movie, and then it was gone. It came in a sauce packet like barbecue sauce, just whatever, it's Szechuan sauce. So it was just a little different. Um, I remember having it back then, actually, because I, I wasn't too young. And I remember it being good. Like, I remember thinking, I don't remember it being better than barbecue sauce, though. But I remember it being good. Uh, so uh, basically what happened was McDonald's decided they were going to have this really limited promotion for whatever reason. Well, I, I know the reason, and I'll tell you at the end. But they, they had this promotion where they were going to give packets of the sauce away at McDonald's stores, only certain participating stores, which later we found out every store only had about 20 packets. So imagine a McDonald's anyway, how many packets of like barbecue sauce they probably go through in a day. Why would they only have 20 per store when it's not even every store that has them? And you could go to a website, you could see which stores would have it. It said that one of the stores here in Green Bay was going to have one. Uh, I had a friend who was actually going out. He he went out to go get it and later found out that that store did not have any. So they actually, not every store that was listed to have some had some. Now, I don't know if that's because McDonald's screwed up or if that was something that the manager took them all and sold them on eBay. I don't know. Because sadly, if you look, some have sold on eBay for two to $300 for one packet of stupid sauce. But more of the bigger part of this was, like what happens with a lot of things when their fan base gets really big their ridiculous fan base gets out of control and they start to ruin the things that you might like because the fans who like it are very ridiculous about it. So, and again, not everybody, this isn't a generalization of everybody who likes Rick and Morty, obviously, but there's certain people that, you know, take it too far. For instance, I would argue that Dr. Who fans oftentimes take that show. Many, many Dr. Who fans take the show too far. So as much as I like the show, the little bit I've watched with Jen, 
I, I, I'm almost like embarrassed to like the show because of some of the people that like it. And, and it's a bad feeling because it's not fair to the show. It's not fair to me, but it's how you feel because you see the way some people act. Um, I know a lot of people who enjoyed the music of insane Composse. And if they like the music of ICP, but they don't like the people that associate with the music, this, the juggalo crowd and, and everything, you know, same with like, Oh, I can listen to iron maiden, but I'm not a headbanger. I like Slayer, but I don't, you know, want to kill animals and I don't hate Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like, but some of the fans associate with that, they take it to the extremes. Well, Rick and Morty fans, a lot of them, you will, a lot of Rick and Morty fans will take things to the extreme. And there's this really strange thing because Rick and Morty is kind of a, an interesting show. You've got, and, and actually um, PewDiePie commented on this a couple weeks ago in the same way, did a video about this. And he said, it's really interesting how you have smart people that like to watch it because they feel like it's got some, some neat uh, philosophy angles. And then you've got people who love just stupid burping, farting humor that's in there. And then you've got people that just, you know, that the, the average regular customer just likes a show. And so you've got all these people that like it and it brings together one of the worst fan bases out there. And there's, he goes on to show all these ridiculous YouTube videos of people being obnoxious and screaming and, and dressed up like, like Rick and Morty. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really stupid. But again, when a show is popular, you attract a lot of fans. And then when you have a lot of fans, there's always a higher chance that you're going to have some crazy ones. So like here on, for instance, someone recorded the, the police were called to one McDonald's in San Jose because people were chanting, we want sauce and recording it and putting it on Twitter. So you've got these poor workers who are like just doing their job behind the counter. And then you've got an, a complete like dining room full of people chanting, we want sauce, we want sauce. And they're just chanting, chanting, chanting. And so you've got this weird dynamic of people who like Rick and Morty because they're so much smarter than everybody else and they get the show more than everybody else and other people don't get how smart I am because I get the show, you know, like that sort of really, um, really obnoxious sort of, of bragging. And so then McDonald's puts out a statement that says, you know, to our customers and Szechuan sauce lovers, yesterday we were truly humbled by the amazing curiosity, passion, and energy this community showed to welcome back Szechuan sauce, even if just for one day. Thank you a million times over. Between the costumes, the memes, and the cross-state travel, you, the fans, showed what you got. And our super limited batch, though well-intentioned, clearly wasn't near enough to meet that demand. Quote-unquote, not cool. We agree. So we're going to make this right. In the last 24 hours, we've worked to open... Any portal necessary, and it works. Szechuan Sauce is coming back again later this winter, and instead of being one day only and limited to select restaurants, we're bringing more, a lot more, so that any fan who's willing to do whatever it takes for Szechuan Sauce will only have to ask for it at a nearby McDonald's. We want to make this right. You're some of the best fans in this or any dimension, and we plan to deliver the promise as soon as possible. Stay tuned. Your friends at McDonald's. So then that was a, a picture that was tweeted out by the official McDonald's Twitter. And it said in the Twitter message said, you spoke, we listened lots more Szechuan sauce and locations details soon. And that's the way the news goes. And that's a catchphrase that Rick uses in the show. So they're quoting Rick saying, Hey, we messed up. We didn't realize how big this was going to be. And to that, I say, this is complete garbage. <laughs> so McDonald's knew exactly what they were doing when they made this limited, they wanted to do, I mean, it's not only Nintendo that does this, but this is what we call the maximum of the hype train. And they got, um, <laughs> they got everybody to line up outside. They got their name all over the news. They got people talking about them on Twitter. They got the cops called. They got people doing crazy videos of them, making fun of the, uh, the employees. And they caused a freaking ruckus. 
And all this press came from it. Hell, I'm doing a damn spot on it on my podcast. So obviously it's working. What are we supposed to do though? This is what, this is what we fall for, you know? And they did all this. So basically this was a test run. This was a legitimate test run. They did it. It was so stupid and crazy that they said, oh, it's going to be successful. All right, let's, let's pull the switch or let's flip the switch, pull the lever. Let's get Szechuan sauce masks produced so everyone can enjoy it. And, and again, as consumers, we're just sitting here like, why can't we just have the things we want? It's that simple of a mentality, everybody. We have money that we want to give you. You make something that we want. We'll give you the money for the thing we want. It's that simple. It's not that hard. This is how things work. But instead, well, we want to make sure that a lot of people buy it, right? So let's let's come up with some kooky way to, to make it really rare and expensive. And you're just like, what the hell? Like, just, eh, just leave me alone. You know, like, just... I don't need to be manipulated. I just want to go to us. I want to, I want to say, Hey, I watched that episode. It was funny. Hey, I remember Szechuan sauce. Hey, I'll go to McDonald's and buy Szechuan sauce. It's like, it's that easy. You know, why, why do they have to complicate everything? It's so, it's so annoying. And I, I hate big companies that do crap like this. And it's, it's, everybody does it. Nintendo's done it a million times. These guys, McDonald's are going to do it. They're trying to, you know, whatever. They're trying to refresh it. And it sucks because part of this thing that's also interesting is that, if you watch Rick and Morty, the idea is that, let's see here. Well, I want to read the quote from Polygon because they really said it best. Um, Rick and Morty fans don't understand anything about this situation. Not the way commercialism stepped into cash and on nihilism, nor the irony of how they've given something intense meaning and value after being told a fictional character that it had meaning as a way of illustrating that nothing has meaning. They've turned into fight club fans who start their own fight clubs, not understanding that the point of the movie is how easily white male anger is co-opted for violence and mindless support of empty and hateful causes. And they've done this due to their love of a show that they think makes them look smart or that they feel justifies their loneliness. Maybe they're not alone because they're intelligent. Maybe the problem is they're the kind of people who would get mad at a fast food place for not having enough sauce. The problem in their life is most likely begin and end at that fact. And I thought that was an interesting way of taking it, necessarily not the white male anger little tirade they went off of but the idea that um you know like like let me see what they also said here um rick and morty super fans the ones who are giving the rest of us a bad reputation like to joke about how you have to be smart to understand the show while proving over and over again that they don't understand the show rick wasn't saying the sauce was important he was saying that nothing is important why not destroy a family over a sauce why do or don't do anything the fans responded by giving the subject of that joke an absurd amount of importance in their lives. They felt real anger over not getting the sauce, and they don't mind taking it out of McDonald's. If you don't believe me, spend a few minutes looking at the tweets, and that's what I read to you earlier. Um, because the fans also don't understand any level of what's going on. If they understood Rick, they wouldn't care about the sauce because no one in the show really cares about the sauce. It was never referenced in the show again. Dan Harmon himself explained that the line was just there to rip on co-creator Justin Roiland's love for the sauce. If they understood Morty, they would be kinder to the McDonald's workers who didn't ask for any of this. And if they understood the point of the show so far, that living only for yourself is destructive and selfish no matter how smart you are, they would be ashamed of how they're acting. And that's exactly how I felt. I'm like, these these they're taking it too far. You know, what's wrong with people? And again, McDonald's is to blame because they, they brought this out, but are they really to blame when we're the ones who are acting ridiculous? You know, like they're, people are okay to be upset. If they went to a McDonald's location that was supposed to have it because they really wanted to get something that they thought they would like, and it wasn't there, you have a right to be upset about that. Do you have a right to be a massive jerk in a crowd and start chanting, we want sauce when there clearly isn't any sauce? No. And the fact that you're obsessing over it so much just because it was part of a show, 
that you like, but maybe a sauce that you never even liked. It's just, it's just fans taking it too far again. And it's, it is what it is, but I don't want to get hung up too far on that because that just, it's just stupid to me, quite honestly. And I probably spent way too much time talking about it, but it is what it is. And McDonald's is manipulated us into showing that we really want it. And then they got a bunch of people to get it. And now they're going to give us more and yada, yada. And that's the way the news goes. And then uh, lastly, then I want to talk about Blade Runner 2049. So I went and saw this last Thursday. I'm actually going to see it again later today with a friend. So I'm going to see it twice in the theater, which if, you know, if that tells you anything, obviously I enjoyed the movie, but it's very different than I was expecting. So this is going to be totally spoiler free. I won't ruin anything for you. I won't mention anything that wasn't shown in trailers and stuff, but uh, I want to give you my honest take on the movie and if you should go see it. Uh, and what kind of movie it is so that that way you may think you want to see it and you may not enjoy liking it or it might not end up enjoying it, I should say. So Blade Runner 2049, I liked it, but it was very different than what I thought. What I mean by that is the previews and the trailers try to trick you into thinking it's a very cool, futuristic action sci-fi movie, and it is not. It is a very cool sci-fi, noir, visually stunning Oscar-worthy performance and score film. So initially when you see this, you think there's going to be some cool, you know, car car chase scenes. There's going to be some gunfighting scenes. There's going to be some fight scenes. And while they do exist, like in the original Blade Runner, it is paced very much like the original Blade Runner. So if you've never seen the original Blade Runner, you probably don't care about seeing this movie, and I think that's probably a good idea. But if you've seen the original Blade Runner, you know that that movie is not an action movie either. It's what a lot of people call like a, a sci-fi noir. And the, the original Blade Runner is very slow. When I first watched it, I fell asleep watching it. And it took me, the last time I watched it, it took me like over the course of two days to get fully through it without falling asleep. Like I watched it, started getting tired, and I shut it off because the movie itself is very slow. But it's building a universe. It's based on dialogue. You're supposed to pay attention to the visuals and the music. Like it's not just there. To, to be an adrenaline rush. And so it, it my love of Blade Runner is more the love of the universe and the love of all, many other things that involve with it, but not so much the actual movie in itself as a whole, but the themes it explores and it looks incredible. The music was great. The style of everything. And cyberpunk is one of my favorite, like, you know, tropes in gaming. So with that being said, Blade Runner 2049, I was very surprised pace is exactly the same so you have this movie i was like waiting for action and this and that and then i almost felt myself being disappointed when i didn't see it and it is a very long movie it's i think it's two hours and 45 minutes very long movie and so you're very like at first you're like wow this is man it's kind of slow and boring but it's not it's you actually it's almost enjoyable to watch a movie where you don't have these huge like jump scares you don't have these huge like action scenes you don't have all this stuff like it's not it's not meant to do the ups and downs of a normal movie it's just telling you a story in the way it wants to tell you and uh Villanueva the director he is awesome I mean he he's one of turning into one of the best sci-fi directors out there and this movie was really good if you know what to expect going into it if you look at the trailers you're expecting an action movie you would be sorely disappointed and by the box office numbers of opening weekend a lot of people thought that's what it would be and a lot of people didn't watch it or a lot of people weren't interested in it. Uh, but I think it was the perfect sequel to Blade Runner. It pushes the story forward, you know, 30 years or whatever it is. And it's really interesting. 
I liked it a lot, and I'm going to go see it a second time with my other friend. Uh, I went and saw it, took my friend out for his birthday on Thursday. I took Dom out to go see it Thursday, and then I want to see it with my friend Adam today. And I'm absolutely excited to see it again. In fact, I'm excited to see it a second time knowing that to not expect the action and to just sit and just check the dialogue, check the themes, think about things I didn't think about before, everything like that. So Blade Runner was really good. I highly recommend everybody checks it out. It was uh, it was it was neat visually. Uh, it gives you a lot of these interesting themes, like what what does it mean to be human? You know what, you know what what makes us what we are. You know if we create AI, are they living beings with rights too? Uh, even if they were created for slavery, you know it's really really weird things to think about. And in the future, like you know, what, you know with with complex AI and and like artificial companions and things like that being around us or near us is that going to change the way we feel about technology like is it more personal to us or is it still just a computer that was basically doing everything it could to try to be personal to us you know it's it's very weird stuff uh very cool uh you know sci-fi futuristic stuff and it's not alien blasters and and aliens and and interplanetary travel like it's just a really good like how the earth could realistically be in you know what 32 more years i I mean it's possible um but it was really good so i I do recommend the movie but you have to know what you're getting into otherwise i think you would be disappointed um and then that's the show for the most part as always i appreciate you listening um let's see i'm gonna look really quickly through my games to play let's give you a game recommendation for next week so i'm gonna recommend i'm gonna recommend reaching over my cabinet here um i'm gonna recommend jaws for the nes actually i was just playing this with dom the other day at the store um and we busted out jaws so in this nes game you play as well somebody i'm not sure who you play as you play as somebody and uh you're basically hunting jaws so you're in a little ship in like an overworld map you have to go between port to port you get random encounters like an rpg and then you're in like a side-scrolling underwater area it doesn't scroll actually it's one screen but you side to side move back and forth you try to and you try to get seashells seashells are the currency in the game and then you save up your seashells to upgrade your power level and to upgrade your um to upgrade your power level and then to get some upgrades to your ship like a sonar to see when jaws is coming and eventually you want to kill jaws that's the idea um and jaws is randomly out there and fighting you when you die you lose i believe it's you lose half of your shells and if you die three times and you lose a power level, and if you die three times, you're completely done. So it's a short game, essentially, but it's it takes long because it's difficult to like not screw up and die and then start losing the things that you need to level up because you need the shells to level up. Uh, and then you fight Jaws, and that's it, and you just kind of shoot them. It's it's really uh, really it's actually really decent for uh, for an LJN game, one of the few ones that I think is actually playable and fun. And but it's it's not too bad actually. Try it out. It's only one player, but you know you get so mad at it that you want to throw the controller so just give it to your friend and let him play or her play and then and then take the controller back when you uh when your rage has subsided as always i always appreciate you listening you guys um i'm gonna keep doing this as, as long as uh you people keep listening and you know with the youtube channel i was really defeated with that but obviously we're back in business i'm gonna keep uploading stuff keep having fun with it and uh i think it's gonna be great so Everybody, uh, thank you for listening. If you can subscribe to the drop rate, that really means a lot. Listening to us on iTunes, however you found us, just much appreciated. Um, You're all great. It's the reason I keep doing this. So I I really appreciate it, and I hope you all have a great day. Mm